Welcome back to Exploring British Biathlon with me, Elizabeth Winfield. I'm joined today by Stu Cottrell, who is head of school at AECC University, a bit of a mouthful, and professor of sport, exercise, performance and psychology. I hope I've got that right, Stu. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Could you share a little bit about yourself and your career um, in this field? Yeah, sure. Thank you, uh, Liz. Very happy to. Uh, so I, I am a sport and performance psychologist. That's that's what I've trained as in the last 20 years. Uh, I've been helping performers in a, in a broad range of settings to, to be the best that they can be. Obviously, I started my career uh, training as a sports psychologist. So I've done a lot of work in professional sports, such as uh, professional football, professional rugby, professional cricket, also working with individual athletes, so Olympic athletes, pro golfers, uh, that, that type of thing, but also broadened out a bit because one of the things that I've, I've learned as my career has developed is that the psychology of performance is very similar across different areas of performance. So while the task that you have to do is the same, uh, or sorry, sometimes different, the way the brain responds in those situations is, is, is very, very similar. So if we're talking about sport performance or military performance or the emergency services or performing artists, dancers, singers, um, doctors, surgeons, actually the way the brain responds in those situations and responds to pressure is very, very similar. So actually I found myself uh, increasingly in the last 10 years working across a broader range of areas. So that ranges from, I currently do work with the Royal Navy uh, through to working with professional esports athletes. So uh, very, very different, but the, the thing that all of those areas have got in common is the psychology of performance, which is the where my expertise is both as a consultant and as a researcher as well. You mentioned AECC University College and I'm a professor there. And what we do is we generate new knowledge to answer performance-based questions to helpfully, hopefully help people to, to be better performers. Wow. So and it's absolutely amazing to have you with us today. And that's a real broad profile. But like you say, there's so many synergies across different sports and different professions uh, with what you do and what you've learned over uh, that 20 years. I think today what we're going to try and do is focus in one area, which is pressure. And so I think the first question to you is, what is pressure? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it, if, we're, if we were technically answering this, the only real definition for pressure sits within science within physics which is the application of a force uh, people often talk about pressure in relation to doing things in, in terms of psychological pressure but pre- pressure is a perceived thing it doesn't actually exist there, there's, there's no situation which is inherently pressured uh, and, and some, some of your listeners might think well that, that that's not true but it the, the, the bit about the pressure is only there because of what you think about the situation. So, you know, people sometimes talk about life or death situations. Well, it's an extreme example, but you only feel pressure if you care about whether you live and live or die. If you don't, then you don't feel pressure. Obviously, for most people in that type of dangerous situation, then you, you would experience some type of pressure. But you also see people who do extreme sports or extreme activities, and you think, well, that must be quite pressurised, such as free climbers thinking, well, if you make a mistake, you, know, you could fall and, and do yourself serious damage. But they, they don't see that situation as challenging because they've developed their skills so well that they don't experience the, this pressure. But uh, if, if you do feel that something is important, then it's really an, an evaluation by you about you know, what the challenge is that's being placed on you and how well you feel you can cope 
with with that challenge, which is ultimately the, the the little conversation that's going on in your head. And if you if you feel that you're okay, that you can cope in that situation, then you 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 don't feel the pressure too much. If you don't feel that you can cope too well in that situation, then uh, you, you have more of an experience of pressure. And we can talk about what that looks like uh, a little bit later. But the, the crucial thing is there is the perception. So someone could actually have all of the tools, be have all of the skills and be able to do what's being expected of them. But if they don't feel that they can, then they might, they might fall apart under pressure just because of how they view the situation. So, so where does this pressure come from? Is it, I think you're sort of alluding to the fact that it's, it's almost self-induced. Would that be right in saying that? Yeah, that, it, it, exactly. So, well, well, like lots of psychological things are uh, really, you, you think about uh, things that make you angry or things that make you frustrated, that those things in themselves, you know, whatever they are, don't, can't inherently make you experience those things. It's how you respond to it that that will have an impact. I always think about me driving in the car and I never give myself enough time to get to, to meetings. So I, I sometimes find myself getting frustrated or annoyed at the driver in front of me. They're, they're just driving, they're driving at whatever speed they want to drive at. But because I haven't left myself enough time, I'm getting annoyed, which I think is at them, but actually it's because um, I, I've allowed myself to get there. So now ultimately, if we can control what we think and how we respond in a situation, we, we won't experience pressure. And one of the, the, the amazing traits of those people who are brilliant at what they do, who can perform under pressure when we look at it, is that they just don't see the situation as pressurised. They're going out there and they're enjoying what they do because they know they've got the skills and they focus on what they can control, which is really important. You can also put pressure on yourself by having expectations about yourself. So well, I'm going to win this race. I'm going to come first. That is putting pressure on yourself. And sometimes that's a good thing. Some people need to feel uh, a little bit of pressure to be able to perform well, and that's fine. But for some other people, putting too much pressure on themselves or unrealistic expectations, saying, like, I'm, right, I need to win this when actually training hasn't gone too well, you're coming back from an injury, uh, you happen to be up against uh, a performer who's exceptional at what they do compared to everyone else. Then there are all these factors which uh, make it less likely that you're going to achieve what you say you're going to achieve, and that puts pressure on yourself. The other um, place that pressure comes from a lot is from other people, and mainly because of how we feel about those other people. So if I, if I care is what you think and you and you really want me to do well that might put pressure on me you don't mean to put pressure on me but I I want you to be proud of me and that can put pressure on me so some sometimes uh exploring that relationship with other people can be really important and and what what they want you to do and what they say to you and the impact that it has on you and how you feel about your performance all of which can contribute to this this perception of pressure no, that's that's really interesting. And um, I suppose, what is the impact of this pressure? Is there a, a physical and mental sort of reaction, um, or that it that it creates on our performances? Yeah, uh, both both of those things. So, uh, where, when we feel that we're not coping under pressure, so we 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 feel that we maybe don't have the, the resources we need in that situation, then we we experience stress and. I'm sure everyone listening has 
has heard of stress, has possibly experienced stress. Uh, and one of the problems that we have with the word stress is it's, it's used incorrectly sometimes to just talk about when people are experiencing some type of negative uh, episode or experience. And actually stress is, is really a bit more generic than that. So when, when you're under pressure, your body responds in a certain way. So it's responding to uh, demands or threats that are placed on it. So it's the, the fight or flight response. And to start with that, that's a good thing. We, we need to feel stress. Our, our body needs to have a degree of stress for us to be able to perform effectively. So that's where we, you, know, you get your increased heart rate, um, you get increased blood flow to your uh, skeletal muscles, so your arms and legs, because you're going to move your your pupils uh, a little bit more focused, so you can pick up on important information. So you're you're ready for action, and so obviously that's a that's a really useful thing. Uh, but if if that that stress that you're experiencing uh, goes on for too long or isn't too too intense, then it can be problematic. And is it, it is interesting in terms of our language use that stress can be divided into two types of stress. So we have distress, which knows a word that I'm sure everyone listening has heard of before, distress. So when you're, you're not doing too well, you're not coping. But there's also another word called eustress, which is EU stress. And that means positive stress. So if you think of a, a, an, an upside down U uh, curve, that, that's kind of what happens when, when we get stressed and we need stress to start with and that's good. And we experience that stress, that positive stress. But then uh, we reach a point where it's, it's too stressful and it turns into negative stress, which is that distress. And then things uh, start going you know, not, not too well. So we get those, those physical responses, which to start with are good. And yeah, that, that, that's fine. We, we also need to make sure we, we reach the right level of those responses. Because you know, if you're doing something which is very physical, then you know, your heart beating quite strong, you're, you're being ready for big movements, that's, you know, that, that's good. And actually, if you're doing something which involves contact, like rugby or, or martial arts, and actually having higher physiological responses can be, can be very beneficial. But if you're doing something which requires accuracy, then that stress response can be problematic. So if you were doing pistol shooting, for example, then increased muscle tension, uh, your heart pounding, all of those things sends tremors through the body, which then impacts on your ability to be able to shoot. Now, I know with uh, biathlon, there's a particular challenge there because you're, you're just in terms of the nature of the sport, you're pushing your body through you know, serious physical exertion and then trying to do something with a high degree of accuracy. So being able to manage how your body is responding is really important. And then you, you also uh, mentioned is the... The, the mental side of that response, you also get thoughts that link to the, those physical uh, feelings as well. And actually we, we interpret how our body feels, which then drives how we respond emotionally. And that, that's really interesting because uh, if qu quite often we, we label certain physical responses in a certain way. So now people who get nervous before they do something, so that they're, they're uh, the, the, at the start line, they're just about to do something. They, they, they get those feelings, you know, that, that typical butterflies in the tummy, uh, dry mouth, sweaty palms, uh, possibly uh, become a bit more fidgety. And quite often those feelings, those physical experiences get labelled as being anxiety. But if we look at emotions, 
those feelings are exactly the same as being excited. So how we, how we label it in our mind is really important because if I label those feelings as being anxiety, I'm going to start thinking, well, I'm anxious, no, things aren't, aren't great, I might not do too well, I'm not ready, uh, which is that the thoughts that are going along with those feelings. But if I can change those thoughts, if I'm thinking, well, this means that I'm excited. I love doing this. This is how I feel. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be. That's why I, I, I do sport. This is brilliant. It completely changes the way that you're going to approach what you're about to do. So the long-winded answer to your, your question then is about uh, how we, we experience it. It's both physical and uh, psychological. But for me, that's important because if we want to control how you respond to it, then we can do it by targeting either or both of those things, either how you respond physically or look at what's happening in your head. No, it's, it's really interesting to hear that actually a word that I think is quite negatively perceived actually can have a really positive impact on performance. Um, have you ever had an athlete that's not stressed enough <laughs> and too laid back that actually it's impacted on their performance? Yeah, um, psychologists talk about uh, uh, zones of optimal functioning uh, in terms of your, your, your physiological arousal level. And for, for different people and for different activities, it varies. So it's for, for you and I, we, we would need to be reach a, a different level of physiological arousal to be able to do the same task potentially. And obviously, if you're going out to play rugby, you need to be uh, uh, physiologically aroused or switched on to a, to a different level to if you are uh, going to play chess. So it's about understanding what's right for the individual. And for some people, it's about psyching up. So getting yourself up to a certain level of intensity. And if you're one of those really laid back people, then maybe you have to work more on that. But for other people, it's about calming down to make sure they get down to the level uh, that they need. And, and part of that is about self-awareness and knowing how you need to be to be able to perform as effectively as you can. And, and one of my jobs as a psychologist is to help uh, performers with that. And the more you understand how you need to be to do the best job that you can, then we can start looking at how do we achieve that. So if you, if you need to be calmer, great. We, there, there are tips that we can use. There are techniques. If you need to get yourself more worked up uh, to be ready, great. We, we can do things there as well. But it, it's about understanding the needs of the individual and for them understanding themselves and being able to use the right techniques. And, and for me as a psychologist, I, I want to make people that I work with more self-aware so they can control it. So they know before whatever event it is or during events, they, they can self-monitor and know, right, I just need to calm down a bit now or actually I, I, I need to get more focused. I need to shut out these distractions. I need to get a it increased my heart rate. I need to become uh, a little bit more physiologically switched on. So, yeah, you do get people like that, but it's about every individual knowing where their their optimal performance zone is and being able to to use their own strategies and techniques to be able to get to that point. No, that's really interesting. So it's it's, it's really this personal approach to it and really understanding yourself. Uh, one of the terms that we sort of uh, slightly interchanged is stress and pressure. Sorry, stress and pressure, the same thing? Uh, yeah, good question. No, so stress is a, a, a response to a situation. Pressure is perceived. So stress is actual. You can measure stress. 
So you can measure heart rate responses, uh, respiration responses. You could measure hormonal responses. So how stressed someone, so cortisol levels, that those types of things. We can, we can measure how stressed someone is. Pressure is a perception. So it's how you view the situation, which is kind of a mix of your view of yourself and your view of the particular challenge that you're facing. And crucially, is linked to something called coping resources. So that the more uh, coping resources you've got, the better able you feel to cope and the less pressure you, you experience. So if you think of uh, I know, a set of scales, on one side you've got um, the demands of the situation, on the other side of the scales you've got your ability to cope. And if those things are pretty balanced or your ability to cope is higher than the demands of the situation, then you don't perceive the situation as being pressured. The, the other thing that we might talk about a little bit later, which, which impacts upon that balance, is your general level of mental health and well-being. If you're, if you're mentally healthy and you have good levels of well-being, you can cope with more things. And as a result, you're less likely to see a situation as, as being pressurised. No, that's that's great. And I, yeah, I think we'll definitely pick that up um, as we move through this podcast. And um, I suppose the, the, the bit we've started touching on now is uh, it's quite individual. And so um, are there general strategies that you can share with us, though, that that would help most individuals um, to to cope with this pressure and stress? Yeah. So uh, if if we're focusing on pressure, there, there are two uh, for me, there are two levels at which. I could try and make a difference for someone. So the first is we, we talk about this perception, how you view the situation. If I can change that, then you won't experience pressure. So if, if we had time, if I had time working with a client, that, that's the thing that we might target. So to understand where their pressure comes from. So are they putting pressure on themselves? Is it coming from other people? How, how can we resolve that? How can we reduce that experience of pressure because if we if we can remove those expectations uh though those views of that person of the situation then we, we can stop them experiencing pressure pretty much or to the same level so in an ideal world that's what we would do but we can also then give them tools and techniques that allow them to cope in that situation and at, at a broad level there, there's great research showing how how uh how useful or how impactful social support is for helping people to cope with pressure. So that's having your your friends and family around you, you your usual support groups, which uh, help you to cope with things more effectively. But if you think about um, on a competitive sport, if you think about going away, going away to tournaments, going away to events, actually you're, you're taking people away from a lot of the support that they've got available to them. So thinking that through a little bit, can be really useful making sure that people stay in touch with their family stay in touch with their friends that you've created good support groups uh within the group of people who are going away so so that they're meeting their their support needs it is great research showing how effective it can be to help people to cope uh with the situation and as a result uh to, to cope with the pressure the other thing that we can look at is to recognize that you might feel anxious or stressed before you do something, but if we can help you to shut all of that out when it comes to actually competing, 
then again, you don't experience that pressure while, while you're actually competing. So in uh, discrete sports, so I'm thinking things like rugby kicking or serving tennis, that's quite easy because you just give people what's called a pre-performance routine. So a set series of actions that they do and we put thoughts that go along with it, which just fills your head because you've got a limited amount of stuff that you can pay attention to at any moment in time. So if we deliberately make you focus on A, you then can't think about B. So it's a really effective strategy, which just gives you something to focus on, um, which stops your mind from wandering. For more continuous sports, so uh, running, uh, cross-country skiing, uh, cycling, those sorts of things, then you need to have a, a more continuous strategy which allows you to occupy your mind. And quite often that is focusing on your body. Lots of very good endurance athletes just stay in tune with their body and that's what they use to, op uh, to occupy their mind. Because if we don't do that, your mind can then start focusing on any number of things which then increases your perception of pressure. So it could be uh, where you are in the race, it could be stuff outside of competing. So if we can occupy your mind, give you something to focus on, then it, it helps to kind of create a bubble around you, which protects you from, from other things, the situation, the, the point in the, the race or the event, or all, all of those things. It allows you to stay in the present, which is really important because you don't want to uh, do what we could refer to as uh, fortune telling. So getting too far ahead of yourself, thinking about what's happening in the future. And similarly, there's no point in dwelling on the past because you can't change it. You might debrief about it afterwards, but we need to get you to stay in the present, which really helps you to cope um, quite effectively. The other thing that we can look at is making sure that you're realistic in terms of your understanding of yourself and the expectations that you place on yourself. One of the things that I've found in professional sports sometimes is people's skills are not as good as they think they are. And then as a result, they have unrealistic performance expectations. I always remember working in professional cricket. So uh, they, the, the players that I worked with, they, they were paid to play cricket. That was their job. I remember us doing a, an activity, throwing the ball at the stumps from not too far away. And the most successful was five out of 10. So 50% success rate. Whereas in their minds, they were brilliant at this. You think, well, that's, that's not a great success rate. So I think knowing how good you are and what you're capable of is really important because then you don't set yourself unrealistic expectations and then fail to meet those expectations. The, the other thing uh, that you can then do is if you find yourself experiencing stress, so you'll find yourself physically or physiologically uh, suffering, so your muscles are too tense, your heart's beating too quickly, you're, uh, you're breathing too quickly, that uh, you're getting those types of responses, then there are very simple techniques that you can use to take control of those. Breathing techniques are, are fantastic, uh, really, really simple. And I could throw lots of science at you for why breathing is, is really effective. But a simple focus on your breathing gives you something to focus on. So I just talked about that. So it occupies your mind. So it stops you being distracted by other things. So that's brilliant. It also is uh, cathartic because it's rhythmic, so it's, it's, it's relaxing. And also by controlling your breathing, you also can uh, bring your heart rate down by having deliberate controlled breathing, so uh, counting breathing or box breathing, any of those techniques. 
which then allows you to take control of the physiology a bit more and reduce your your physical experience. And I think that's, I'm, I'm sure um, everyone listening to the, this podcast must use some type of breathing technique to help them, particularly when it comes to shooting, to, to be able to make sure that their body is as calm as possible because you're making that transition to being able to, to shoot. You obviously need to be able to calm your heart rate down because I'm sure where possible you want to shoot in between heartbeats because as when there's the least tremor going through your body. Also, you want to reduce muscle tension as well, which will come from that experience of, of pressure because you need to be able to control more effectively. So breathing is a really effective technique that you can use to be able to do that. You can also use uh, positive statements, positive words, which are really good for occupying your mind. I've actually worked, worked with some people that had some very strange uh, techniques. Uh, I worked with a golfer who used to count and he said, which would occupy his mind. Um, but he just used to count as quickly as he could. And he always used to get to different numbers. And I've no idea how that used to work, but it did. So that's fine. I also worked with a professional cricketer who just used to sing songs to himself in his head. No particular song, just any song, but he just sing, sing tunes in his head, which occupied his mind, helped him to, to stay relaxed. So we can try and change how someone sees a situation, which will mean they won't experience pressure. But we can also give them tools and techniques, which means that if they do feel that they're not coping in the situation, they do feel they're getting more stressed, that they can do something about it to reduce those physical and psychological symptoms, which mean they can go on to be able to perform effectively. I mean, that, that's brilliant to have this, um, this practical application of how we can um, maximise our performance in these high-pressured situations. Um, I don't know, with COVID, have you noticed that um, it's placed more pressure on people? Because we, we've certainly found while the team have been a, uh, away, the intensity of that relationship without being able to, you know, escape the team and, and take a relief from that competitive environment has been quite difficult with, with nothing open. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's been a challenge for, for everyone uh, around sport, really. So you've got the, the athletes who have, have been either struggling with isolation because they've had to do things uh, on their own, or you're right, being, being stuck with the same people for a long, people, for a long uh, period of time, even if you really like those people. Um, like we've all been with our families. That, that can be really stressful and challenging and not getting the opportunity to socialise with other people and doing all of those normal things. So already people are are more stressed by those things so more of your general coping resources are being taken just with everyday life and then taking out of that equation the things that people would have done to relax and to calm themselves previously we we can just cope with less so trying to do what you um what you were doing before or cope with the same workload that you're coping with before it's quite challenging because you know we we're not set up to be able to do that. We're, the, the pandemic and the restrictions and, and everything that goes along with that is, is taking up more of our, our psychological space, which means we, we need to be smarter in terms of how we plan things, how much rest we give ourselves, uh, and also be more proactive in trying to link in with some of those different groups. Because you're right, it is, it is really challenging. And the other thing that's going to come now with such an extended period of um, time away from 
from normal training and even competition is increased perceptions of pressure and increased feelings of anxiety and potentially fear about returning to normal or returning to competition or even returning to training. So there's there's a whole raft of things. And, and crucially, from what I, I said at the start, it's all going to be individualistic as well, though, when hopefully uh, all restrictions are gone in the summer, some people are going to be very happy and are very forward thinking and will just get on with it and think it's great. For, for other people, they're still going to be nervous. They're going to still going to be anxious. They'll uh, potentially want to wear face coverings. It, it's going to be very individualistic. So we're going to have this, this real mix of how people are going to respond, like it's been through the pandemic where some people have struggled uh, more than others. Now, it's certainly been a challenging time for, well, for everyone. And, and I, I think sport is, is an area, again, like you said, that we're, we're going to see um, quite an interesting transition back into to normal, if, if you like. Um, and I think some of these strategies you spoke about are going to be more important than ever, uh, than ever before. And, and also getting back to that routine and that structure, which we haven't necessarily had. So, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I suppose being Mental Health Awareness Week, um, the bit that we um, were going we're to catch up on was um, being mentally, uh, our mental health uh, being positive and how that then helps and impacts on how we cope with pressure was sort of one of the topics that we, we, we touched on um, earlier. And it would be great to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, well, I, I think obviously as a psychologist, I'm interested in people and I want them to be as as healthy and as well as they can be. But it, even if that wasn't your your focus, then from a performance perspective, it, it's a fundamental performance building block that if you are mentally healthy and you, you've got good well-being, then you can cope with more. And as a result, you you, you can push and do more so I, I think from a performance perspective being mentally healthy is really important and I think one of the things we've had to change because you mentioned earlier Liz about uh, the misconceptions about the word stress mental health is another word I mean if you think of the actual words mental health it's actually a description of how healthy you are mentally and yet there's such a negative labeling of that word when people talk about mental health they're actually really referring to mental ill health and that's important because you can you can not have uh, mental ill health, so not have a mental health condition and still not be mentally healthy. And similarly, ju- just because you are not experiencing any of those things, you can still increase your level of mental health. There, there is this view that, uh, well, if I'm not mentally ill, I'm OK. But like with it, almost anything, you can you can get even better at it. You can be even more mentally healthy, uh, engaging in self-care, doing things which you, you enjoy. Uh, are really important and I think particularly for things like sport where we're pushing ourselves to be as good as we can be we're often focusing on things that aren't going right because that's how we improve so we're quite self-critical sometimes and all of that can push us to a position where actually we're we're not allowing ourselves to be happy and healthy and positive and yet all of those things ironically increase your ability to perform being optimistic, for example, increases your likelihood of being able to problem solve effectively. So uh, looking after your mental health is really important. And coming back to where we started with pressure, the more mentally healthy you are, 
the more you can cope with in your life. It's one of the reasons why at different points in your life, you, you can do exactly the same thing, have the same load on you, and you cope better or worse. So that the, how mentally healthy you are is really important. So making sure we look after ourselves, making sure you do the things that, that help us to recharge our batteries, to make sure we've got a little bit of balance in our lives. And that can be quite difficult when you're focused on being the best you can be in sport or another part of your life. Making sure that we look after ourselves and we look after other people is really, really important. And I'm thankful that um, I know there was a, a UK government white paper published uh, two years ago, I think now, looking at mental health and elite sport and recognised that uh, elite sporting environments needed to do more to be mentally healthy. And it used to be the case where, where people used to think that in order to become resilient, you ha people had to suffer and experience adversity. But actually, the latest research suggests that if you create really positive, supportive environments, that helps people to be more resilient. So, again, coming back to that idea of social support, if we have good, positive support in place, then that helps people to be you know, as good as they can be. And actually, one, one other thing that I'll say, we did some research recently with my colleague, Phil uh, Heritage, at, at the university, who's a physiologist, and we were focused on para-snowsport athletes and uh, looking at the challenges that they faced. And, and one of the things that came through from a couple of the participants was... Look, we know ultimately we're going to be competing for, for spots in the same team. If we can be re really positive and supportive to each other, we can help each other to, to grow and to, to develop. And then we'll worry about the competition bit when we get there. But I just thought that was, that was amazing to come through, that they were thinking about how to create a really positive environment. So I think if we can, if we can do that, if we can create positive environments in which people can thrive, it helps support how mentally healthy we are which then impacts upon how we view a situation, which means we're less likely to experience pressure. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think creating this positive ethos and culture within a team is, is critical to allow everyone to succeed, you know? And um, I think sometimes, and you touched on it a little bit, is sometimes we just need to be a bit kinder to ourselves and, um, and, and think about ourselves and our mental well-being, and that will help in the wider, big goals and aims of what we're trying to achieve on the on the field of play. So, no, it's been it's been really great to to sort of go through what pressure is, um, some strategies of how we sort of can use pressure to our advantage um, and cope with it, and, and then to touch on the mental health and well-being. I think is. Is, is really important and it's something that we we want to grow that positive culture um, within British Biathlon. I mean, it, it's been great speaking to you. It's been really, really interesting. Um, I think we could probably talk for hours and, and it'd be great to, you know, get some of this um, engagement and one-to-ones with, with with our athletes, you know, so that they, um, they have individual strategies in order to cope. But what we've touched on here is some really practical ways that we can initiate some of this. And so thank you so much for your time today. It's been, um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. No problem. Take care.